Welcome to Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast, where we are amplifying the Black adoption conversation with Black adoptee voices and Black families at the center. We're your hosts, Dr. Sam and Sandria, two Black adoptees adopted by Black families still trying to make sense of our adoption journeys. We have all been touched by adoption, whether we realize it or not. You just don't hear our stories until now. Every birth has a story. So So let's let's go go black black to the the beginning. beginning. Welcome black, everybody. It is Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast. I'm Sandria. And I'm Dr. Sam. And this episode, we are bringing you another birth mother story. Y'all know that we live for these stories because... These are what you don't hear. And we know that a lot of our listeners are adoptees. And so they have questions. Hopefully our guest has answers. But with this conversation, there's also just some extra layers. And we'll get into that as we get more into her story, because we'll also be able to talk about the fatherhood aspect and what happens when you're making the decision to adopt and it doesn't always go smoothly. Um, Of course, it's never an easy choice, but there can also be challenges on top of challenges on top of challenges. And how do you persevere and be resilient in, in the face of many challenges? And that's something that we can say our guest has been. She has been extremely resilient in the face of many challenges, some that are not related to adoption. And so we wanna give voice to her experiences, to her story, and hopefully it it sheds some light and, and some inspiration for our listeners tonight. So please give a warm welcome to Kiami Merritt. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> 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 Thank, Thank you, you. For, for joining us. So we'll we'll jump in as we typically do. We'll take it black to the beginning and just take us to what led to your decision to pursue adoption. Where does the story start for you? Okay, I'm going to tell the story because it's just as true then than it is now. I was in college and I had three kids at the time. I was paying out of pocket for daycare for them, working 70 hours a week, taking 15 credits in school. So it was a hot mess. And basically I got pregnant and I was just like, I am not going to do this. I'm just not able to. I was mentally stretched, just financially stretched, mentally stretched. I was just way too stressed out. And I knew that I didn't have the capacity to do it. So it was either, you always have three choices. It's either parent, abortion, or adoption. Personally, I didn't feel comfortable doing abortion. I'm not going to lie. I was like, hey, I might have to do it this time. And you know what? Everything in me and something told me, like, you just cannot do it. And I don't know. It resonates differently for everybody else. But for me it was God. And he was like, you're going to have to do adoption. And I'm like, God, first of all, no, 
I'm not doing that. That I don't know nothing about that. And black people do not do that. So that's what I had in my head. And so basically it kind of just started there. And I just got the research in different adoption agencies and things like that. Because like I said, I was just not able to parent financially and not even just financially, mentally, because you have to be able to mentally give yourself fully to parenthood and to each individual child. Mm-hmm. Something with your story that I think is also a little bit unique when people think about Black mothers who pursue adoption, there's this image of just a very young teenage woman. And, you know, there's a perception sometimes of what type of young woman this is. And in your case, you are a college student. You are extremely hardworking. You're working your 70 hours a week. Like you don't necessarily fit this paradigm of what they think the type of mother that that chooses adoption for, for her child is. How did your family react? Because of course, at this time you have three children already and I'm mm-hmm. sure they want you to finish school and go on and do all the things. How did they respond when they learned that you were pregnant? To be honest, I hid that I was pregnant from people for quite some time. I didn't even start pursuing adoption until about the five or six month range. So I actually been, I was hiding it the entire time, like getting real creative and finding outfits to hide this because I get big real quick. So that was already just like so hurtful right there. But when I told my parents, I basically kind of told them all in one. I probably shouldn't have, but it just is what it is. I told them all in one, like I had this long paragraph to my mom, like, look, I'm pregnant. I'm choosing adoption. It was just like a whole long paragraph. And I was like, I got it all figured out. I do not want you to be upset. You know, this is the agency I'm working with. I've reviewed the families. I was just making sure she knew that I had fully thought about this and it wasn't just something I was doing on a whim. My dad was probably the last to know, even though we're the like super close. Well, I'm equally just as close to both my parents, but I was just like, oh my goodness, I don't know what he's going to say. I just had to rip the bandaid off and kind of tell him. The adoption process though was, was kind of hard. I didn't get the support necessarily that I wanted to have from my mom but my best friend oh yeah my best friend she's have supported me through every single thing well I have two best friends that have supported me through this entire process and that's actually really been my support and then other birth moms and I just want to kind of put it into context a little because your story reminds me a little bit of my birth mom story because I was a number four as well. So she had three children, extremely young. I came along when she was 20. And so as number four, you know, she felt like she was not in a situation to take care of me and so pursued adoption. So I definitely get some understanding about how, you know, a mother, a parent makes that decision. But was it harder with number four as opposed to the first three children so I imagine you know you're younger with the first three was it harder for your parents to accept this choice that you're pursuing adoption because you had kept the first three so it's like okay you're older now you're close to graduating why can't you take care of this fourth child 
to be honest, my parents really kind of whatever decision I make, they are they go with and they support. So it wasn't really a lot of I will say backlash. Now after the adoption, that's a whole nother journey. And that's working through it in a whole nother way. So that's a, yet another conversation that we would have to have. But they kind of just was like, okay, well, we're just going to try to support it. And the biggest thing I think why they supported it is the adoptive mom that I chose. She came down through my pregnancy multiple times. She would come down. She would hang out with me and my family and really get to know us go do activities with us and her her mom even came down like they were it was crazy they live in Arizona but they were from her parents were from Milwaukee which is where I'm from so it was just like destined to be I guess but them getting a chance to know her see what she's about meeting her friends and knowing all about her life it was like we became like a sisterhood and we really became a family so with them getting to know her, they felt more comfort in my decision. <clears throat> Something that I really like that you stated from the beginning, you said that you had three choices. You could parent, you could have an abortion, or you could have an adoption. And I think it's important to hone in on parenting being a choice. And if you know that that particular choice is not for you or that you can't do it, then you must explore other options. Yours just happened to, to be adoption, right? But as you're talking about your choice, again, for who was going to parent your child, you personally chose a single white mother. Talk to us about your decision to do so and, and how that relationship has been overall. Well, my son is actually biracial. So his dad is white and black. Like his dad's mom is, she's fully white. And then the father is black. So to me, it didn't really make a difference because he's, I guess he's just as equally black as he is white. So I was like, it, you know what I'm saying? I didn't choose necessarily and go and say, I'm going to go choose a white mom. I chose based off what my heart told me to do. There was like 300 profiles or something like that on the adoption agency's website. So what I did was I clicked on every single profile. I read their, their values. I read their beliefs. And then I also looked through their pictures and really prayed about it. And she just, I'm not sure why, but she just stood out to me. And once I picked her, I was like, okay, yeah. Part of me was like, well, I'm a single mom and I know that I'm just as capable as doing it than a couple. So I was like, okay, well, he is biracial. That's, that's one fact. This is something that I believe in her values and belief systems. And then why can't she do it? I don't want anybody to say she couldn't because she's by herself. So it just kind of all fell together. That's really powerful there. I'm thinking about conversations that we've had even in season one with adoptees who are biracial. And it's interesting because as, as Black people, we kind of fall to this, this side of choosing the Black parent because you're half Black. So I really appreciate a different slant on this where it's like, yeah, yeah he, he's half white as well. So he has right. the, you know, other parts to, to his 
identity. What did your parents think about that? Like, how did they feel? <laughs> my mom was like, okay, cool. My dad, he is with the Black Lives Matter movement. <laughs> and so, like, seriously, like, I have that dad who, like, he's an activist. He's a philanthropist. I have that dad, which is another layer to this story my dad he has like fatherhood initiative programs and he helps fathers gain regain their rights back and so it was like a standoff this you against your dad but it had nothing to do with me against my dad it had everything to do with doing what was right and what was the best interest for my child so it wasn't i'm coming against you fathers that was never the case it was this is the best interest for you know my child I think that's a perfect lead in because we often don't talk about the fathers. We've yet to have a birth father on the podcast. And so you've made this decision. You're, you're going to pursue adoption. You found an excellent mother. What was the conversation with the father at the time? So did you also keep it a secret from him for a period of time? Oh, definitely not. See, I don't believe in stuff like that. The very first day, actually, that I found out I was pregnant, I told him. And at that time, he was just like, oh, well, what are you going to do? I can't have any more kids. He made it clear that he didn't want any more children. We were friends first. So I was, I'm going to be honest, I was very, very hurt. And I'm a person that I cut off and I shut down. So from that point, I was like, okay, well, he basically let me know I'm out here on my own with this decision. So from that point, I had changed my number. I blocked him and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna have to clearly figure this out by myself, which lets me know that I really do need to consider other options. So when it came time to fill out the adoption paperwork, I gave them every single bit of his information because I told myself, if I'm gonna do adoption, I am going to do this the right way, which means including him, or if he doesn't wanna be included, that's one thing, but the thing is, karma is very, very real. And morally, it's not right to not let someone know. It's just not the right thing to do. So I gave him all their inf his information, his address, his phone number, his birthday, just everything. They were able to find him. And they basically sent him paperwork stating that I was pursuing adoption. And then what happened? Right, because like I said, I start doing adoption in like five or six months so they sent him the paperwork and you know I placed my baby for adoption but it wasn't legal until we went to court so we went to court and they were saying oh well he's trying to contest the adoption I had a lawyer he had like a public lawyer and we started that process and during the process of court usually it takes one or two months or something because typically people try to lie and say they don't know who the dad is that's a big lie because what they want to do is they want to hurry up and get through the process mm -hmm. or the dad just doesn't come to court in his case he did come to court so they postponed that court date and they set it back and basically the entire adoption process through court took about 11 months so during court we had two phases to go through and the first phase well technically three phases but the first phase the um, judge gave him basically that entire 11 months because they kept postponing the court date, the entire 11 months to basically pursue that he was interested in being a father. And, you know, he gave him the option to go and see him, to make phone calls, to, you know, to buy gifts or whatever he wanted to do. During that time, 
he did none of those things. So that ultimately allowed us to be able to move on to the other phase. The other phase included a jury and it was 12 people who decided our fate. We were getting on a stand, his family was getting on a stand, my family was getting on a stand. And it was honestly a very horrible emotional process and the day that it ended was May 13th, which was the day I graduated college. And I was actually late to my graduation, but it was just waking up that day, not knowing if this is going to be, okay, I'm, I'm graduating today. Court is over. We either, we won in court or we lost in court. It was, it was a mess. Yeah, that, that's a whole mess. <laughs> Cause my thing is... Because essentially at this point, so going through the court, he's fighting for custody. So that's what was happening through. Well, for us, that's the thing. He wasn't fighting for him getting full custody. He was trying to make me parent with him. Ah. And the thing (laughs) is, the judge is like, well, are you financially able to do so? She's telling you she's not financially able to do so. And during this time, which is why I like my adoption story the best is because typically people don't get almost a year to prove. The judge kind of makes the decision or your rights are just terminated. They allowed him almost a year. And I'm like, this is the same thing I would have been going through for a year, not getting financial help, mm-hmm. but also, you know, a child needs health care. They need daycare, a roof over their head. When I get frustrated, who's going to help me? I have all these other kids. So there are so many things that you have to consider. So to me, I felt most at peace that he did get that amount of time. So even though it was a frustrating process that it kept being postponed, to me, that was more time to basically, you know, take responsibility. It just sounds like, and I don't want to say petty, but it's like, okay, you're <laughs> he's taking this to court when adoption didn't even have to be on the table in the first place but his response (laughs) when you told him that you were pregnant already set wheels in motion for him to say like he's not interested in taking care so now he's like dragging this out through the legal system and it's not even for him to have full custody so it's not about, you know, let's keep this child out of the system or, you know, not do adoption. I want a parent be the sole parent. It's like, no, you're, you're fighting for me to take care of this child that I've already told you I am not in position to take care That's of. That's the problem. That's the part that was the hardest, which is watching him break down in court was very, it, it was hard. I'm going to be honest with you. It was hard. Like, Till this day, when it comes to my children, I am like, whatever their dad says, yes. Whatever days you say, you can come get them. Whatever time you can come get them because I have my father. So every child deserves both parents. But, you know, another thing that I did mention, what also happened during this time is they did discovery periods um, in the depositions. During that time, he had gotten, my lawyer discovered he had gotten four other women pregnant stop i am very serious i don't know if i know for sure one or two of them are biologically his i don't know the status of the other two so i'm not gonna 
publicly pin any extra children on him. But at the time, which helped make the case was he's out here, you know, parenting multiple children. And I just, I cannot be in a situation to where I am just relying on the government. That's not the life that I want for me and my children. And in order to climb up, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to have to make this hard decision, but I have to work really, really hard. And it's hard to do so if you're not able to financially parent and especially mentally parent, even if I was able to financially get the means, which would have all been on me. But how am I going to have the mental capacity? I was like 21. How do I have the capacity at that time to parent that amount of children? That's a lot for me. You know, this is tough to hear, honestly. I, I'm here for the lesson, though. All the legalities and hearing all of this, and I hope that our listeners appreciate it as well. But it's, I don't know, because we, we, we hear a little bit, like uh, the father's perspective on things. Or we hear men talk about women taking children away from them. You hear like these, the other side, right, of the story. But... My eyebrow has just been raised this whole time <laughs> at the thought of someone fighting that hard for me to take responsibility, but for them to not want to, to, to add value in, in any kind of way to a child's life. But you talked a little bit about your father really being this advocate for fatherhood and fatherhood initiatives, things of that nature. So in this process, what was he thinking in all this? Did he at some point feel, this is not cool. I don't care if he is the father. The manner by which he's going about this with my daughter is not okay. Yeah, my dad, he was, I don't know. My dad is, in some ways he is very, because he's super blunt, but in a lot of ways, my dad won't, which is how I am, won't address things right then and there. He'll sit with it for a while because he knows me as his daughter, I'm going to make the right decision for my children. That is just how I am. Like, I don't care how it looks to anybody else. I do not care how many people are pointing their finger judging me. I am going to do what I need to do the right way for my kids. So he he knew that, but we would have some conversations where he was like, well, you know, I stand for fatherhood. So, and I'm just like, okay. And I'm standing for what is right in this instance. So we both kind of had those conversations, but he just, he let me know, if you're going to do this, make sure you go about it the right way, because it's not what you do, it's how you do it, which is why every time I tell my story, I always have to say, I am never, ever, ever in any way attacking my sons, who was the adoptive son, his father's manhood, or how he is as a father. I believe so much that the children that he has, he loves his children and which was very surprising to why he responded to me that way because I had been around his children and I'm like, you're a great dad, but he turned into somebody I did not know. I was very, very surprised. Like it hurt me down to the core. I'm like, what? I've been knowing you for a while. This is, where did this come from? But I mean, long story short about back to my dad, basically he just, he needed me to do it the right way. And so I had that pressure on to basically when I went in court, they wanted me to say, you know, they try to bring out the ugly in the other side. I sat there in court, which was, you know what I'm saying, 
legally recorded and typed up and I let them know I am not going to bash anybody I am going to do and say the truth I'm going to win off my truth or lose off my truth but I have to live with that at the end of the day so I just have to tell the truth win or lose win or lose man tell the truth, tell the truth. I'm not a liar I haven't been known to be a liar that's not it doesn't feel good. So I'm sorry, but I couldn't do it. And I think that's the point we try to make just in, you know, all of these stories in general, like truth over everything. Yes, sometimes it's messy. Yes, sometimes it's hard to hear, but we prefer truth. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like I just, yeah. <laughs> so the verdict eventually comes down it's it's your graduation day and they decide in in your favor or in the favor of the adoptive mother what was life like following that it was like a blah because it had been so emotionally draining because leading the two weeks prior to that every single day we were in court for five or six hours we had to have a psychologist he came adoption is maybe every agency does it different but this agency they're going to do everything legally by the book including the home studies and we had a psychologist and he was basically saying like you know a child has been with this person who he knows to be his mom from day one all the way until almost a year later so he's developing with her and this is his normal this is his home this is who he's calling mom so you can't just take that away from a child because it could psychologically scar a child it was like a lot of different layers and things that was going on in court and after it I just I don't know I was just so glad for it to be over so that I could start healing because the entire court process I was fighting and it's not that I don't stand for adoption I don't which is why I am choosing to mentor because I want people to go into adoption knowing the pros and cons but really making a informed decision because it's not like oh yeah choose adoption I don't do that as a mentor that's not even what I'm trying to do I just want people to know like this can get really deep and also how it does impact the child both good and bad mm-hmm. yeah because it doesn't end at the moment of adoption so okay I've given birth I've placed my child my hands are are done. I'm out of it. Like, no, that stays with you. You have your own healing process as a mother, as a birth mother. And one of the things that we've heard from other birth mothers is kind of like this survivor's guilt. So how, as a mother, do you go on to have a successful life and maybe entertain the thought of having other children, which you did go on to do, but was it a process for you to even get to that place? During my entire pregnancy and after placing my child for adoption, I actually went like crazy. I went super celibate for years, no boyfriends. Like I was so scared to get in a relationship because I was so traumatized. And with adoption, the thing about it is everybody heals differently. So like for instance, a death in a family, I may experience a death in the family and I might not react right away. It might not bother me until months later or years later. And I mentor a lot of different women and we all say the same thing. 
the adoption process, the healing, you don't really feel anything like that until like years later. And then it's just like all this stuff just comes at you. And it just, it just, it doesn't feel good. But for me, my whole pregnancy, every single day, I, I just pray for strength. I'm gonna be honest. And I feel like every day I got stronger. I didn't necessarily feel like a guilt because even though now, if he came to me now, I could be able to financially do it. But the thing is, I already made a decision years ago. So I can't sit and be like, oh, I just wish, me wishing is not gonna get a time machine. They did not start inventing time machines, I already know. <laughs> so it's just no point to even try to do that. It's a lot of things in our life that we wish, but what's the point of being so hung up on the wish instead of just basically going through day to day focusing on your healing and steadily improving and, and making yourself better. Cause when I did, I'm gonna be honest, when I, when I got pregnant <laughs> this time with my two-year-old, I cried every day. I was so depressed. I was like, Oh my God, I don't want to go through adoption again. And I was having like anxiety and he was just like, Oh, poor guy. My fiance was so calm and he was like, no, that's not the case. We were doing long distance relationship at the time. I was in Texas. He was in Milwaukee and he would come out once a month. I would go out there once a month. And literally I got pregnant. I found out I was pregnant May 15th. He moved to Texas May 27th. He uprooted his whole entire life. He was like, you are not going through this by yourself. And I was like, okay. It was just like, it was a relief. I had never, that was such a big deal to uproot, especially so fast. And it just, it gave me a lot of comfort, but I always told myself like there is life after adoption. And I always say that to the women that I mentor because people are like, oh, you placed your child for adoption. So, so what? I, I don't have no business living after that. Am I supposed to just die? I'm still young. I'm not like, not able to have kids why is it that my life has to stop the point of adoption if you're going to do it is because you want to have a life in the future and you're optimistic about your future you want to still experience those opportunities and that sacrifice that you made you don't need to ever do that again that's the thing you need to learn from that don't ever do that again but I was just optimistic like I was like okay now let me focus on the three that I have at the time. Let me be a better mom. Let me take time out to not be in a relationship to basically tell myself, it's okay. You got to love yourself. You got to focus on healing. You can't take this problem to the next relationship. It was just a lot of work that I needed to do. Plus I, I moved to Texas. So I really needed to focus on that because when I got to Texas, it was a million things that I went through. It was just, it was just a lot. I just needed to focus on me and the children that I already had. And then when my next relationship came around, I felt better. So you've been talking about your healing. What precisely did your healing look like? Talking to birth moms. I have my own mentor and have a life coach. And that is where my healing really started is through my own mentor. And it's a birth mom group that I am in. And it was basically with the adoption agency that I was in. And it's a whole bunch of us. It's a closed Facebook group. And we talk it out. I'm going to be real. We talk it out in whatever our fears are and just however we're feeling, whether we're down, whether we're up, having a place where women can connect and women can understand your specific story. It, it really just helps you heal just to be able to talk about it and to be able to have 
somebody to relate to you. 100% agree. I mean, even for us, just listening to you all stories is a, a healing space for us as well. I do have one more question, though, something that you said about adoption being a way for the birth mother to also move on with life, to get other opportunities, to, to realize something that may not have been there in the event that they had this child. What do you say to the child that if you ever have the opportunity to, to meet this individual, what do you say to them about your choice? Is it for you or was it for them? Well, I have an open adoption. So yeah, I don't have a closed adoption. I have an open adoption. And my son actually came to my graduation because obviously we were in court at that time. And then myself and the adoptive mom, we both have a life coach together because he's finally, he's five. And so he's finally at that age where we're trying to introduce his siblings to him and to have an environment where we can come together because our plan is to basically try to do like whether we didn't we don't have a set agreement but whether it's like once a year or once every other year or whatever we decide to where we can get together maybe do holidays and trips together so that he can feel safe welcomed but like it's familiar it's not something we're trying to drop on him when he's 18 or nothing like that but I mean it's it's a process I'm gonna be honest it's a process and, and everybody's story is is so different but for me I don't really feel any shame because my kids like they they were little they were like two and three or something when I chose adoption and they know they're like yeah my mom chose adoption and this and that a lot of times people are hiding from their kids. I do not hide from my kids. I tell them, I don't care what, I tell them the absolute truth. I tell them, your mom was a teen mom. I need you to make better decisions than what I made, but I'm going to be here for you regardless of whatever you do in life. So you're never going to feel, I'm going to turn my back on you. I got your back. I got your back more than anybody has your back. I got you. And so that's the same way that I want my, you know, my son to feel because it's, it's nothing that he can't ask me. If he grow up and he want to cuss me out, he has a right to do that because I mean, he didn't choose adoption. I chose adoption for him. So all I can do is continue to try to tell my story because I know he's going to hear it and also continue to create a space to where he can come to me and ask the questions he wants to ask his grandfather, his adoptive grandfather, he was adopted also. So luckily he has someone who is close by that he can talk to about it. And then also the adoptive mom, she reads a lot of different books and they watch like different clips that's appropriate for his age that is about open adoption and basically how, you know, their family started. She tells him he grew in my stomach, but in her heart. And it's just different ways that we try to ease the conversation in so he can know that we are all here for him in his best interest, but he can also equally talk to us all about his feelings and emotions. And I appreciate that you mentioned if he comes to you with some anger and that's okay, because I can imagine as he gets older, he might feel some anger just knowing 
that he was placed, but not only that he was placed, but that you have gone on to have another child and you've raised your other children. So there might be, you know, just different feelings that he might deal with and there might be some anger behind that. So, but, but I'm glad you're open to receiving whatever emotions come up over, over the years. I feel like I don't have a choice. It's how, how do you, this, this could potentially be the biggest blessing for him, or it could be a trauma for him. We don't know because we don't know the future. I can honest to God say that there is nobody on earth that loves that boy more than me besides his adoptive mom. It's crazy. I'm talking about it's crazy. She didn't even have a, not trying to bust her out, but she don't even barely pursue relationships. She is all about him. Like her whole life revolves around him. Everything is just who she just loves that boy. I'm like, sometimes I forget that, that she didn't have him. I'm like, oh my goodness. They are just a fit. She loves him so, 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 so much. And she is such a blessing. She is a really, really, really good person who is very, very genuine. And we are just like, we're sisters because we really can talk about so many things. And, but like I said, regardless of that's how I feel, he may or may not feel that, but I don't have a right to not be able to listen to his feelings. I I care. I love my son with everything in me. So why would I not listen to his feelings? A lot of times people shut down, even as it relates to like my fiance, he, he went through the foster care system and things like that. So we have our own conversations. Foster care is different from adoption. But even still, I can relate to some of the things. But then also he asked me, like, he has a lot of questions and things like that. And I'm just like, how can we shut down? Like, a lot of times parents, they don't want to hear it because they're hurt and they know that they hurt their child. So they shut down. But I just, to me, I don't have a right to do that to him. I have to be able to let him have his feelings, but also sit in my truth. All I can do is explain to him where I was at at that time, why I made the choice that I made, but then continue to tell him how loved he was because I didn't do it. I wasn't happy to do it. I did it because I felt like there was no other option. I didn't have family that could take on my child. To be honest, if I, if I did, I would have chose that option, but I didn't have that. Love is is apparent. It's it's apparent in the passion and your voice and your story. The mentoring that you do do is it open to the public? Is is the group something that you can share on the podcast? How can people possibly get in touch with you if they do want to be in that type of uh, sisterhood, have that type of connection? Where where can they go for that type of resource? Actually, I work with a few different adoption agencies, specifically the one that I actually place my son with, but I actually mentor three different groups. So I mentor the birth moms, of course, who are wanting to place their child for adoption or who have already placed for adoption. But then I also mentor the adoptees. I have a lot of different children that I talk to and they ask me any questions that they would ask their mom and about different decisions. And a big, big part of what I do is I actually speak to adoptive parents and I mentor them. 
because it's two different aspects. The first aspect is a lot of people do the, oh, I'm gonna adopt a black child, even though they are not black. And they do it as this is a game, this is a prize, this is, you know, this is a big deal. So what I do is I talk to them about the different racial issues because you are raising a black child who is faced with different issues than other races and what it means to be black and how do you handle your child going through police brutality or racism? You have to be prepared as a parent to instill those values in that child. It's not just, oh, I'm adopting a black child. The biggest, biggest reason why I chose to mentor is a lot of parents, which this is the most important part of this podcast, a lot of adoptive parents are not honoring the wishes of mothers. And what is happening is I am having birth moms come to me who are suicidal and who have harmed themselves because we create an open adoption plan. There is 50 states. Every single state has a different law. Some states, these plans are legally binding. Some states, they aren't. So we, you know, we create this adoption packet, which the adoption agency said multiple times, mine was one of the most extensive because I wrote page on page on page of all the things and wishes I really, really wanted for my child and the type of contact you want, whether you want to talk weekly to the adoptive parent or how many, like you want pictures weekly, videos, emails, photo albums. And what's happening is these women are placing their child for adoption with this adoptive parent or family. And they're saying, hey, I want an open adoption. I want to be able to see my child once a year. These parents are going ghost, which is not allowing that woman to watch her child grow if that's what she chooses. And then they are coming to me heartbroken. It's women who haven't seen their child in 10 years. And, and even more who never see their child again, but this is the plan that they're coming up with and they are trusting in this parent or family to do what they say. And because it's not legally binding, there's nothing that sometimes we could do, which is what causes it to be even worse. Mm. Whoa. It's real. Thank you for this information. Uh, and we've had conversations before about how adoption agencies will talk about this notion of openness or people are like, oh, I have an open adoption. And, you know, like, that's the rule. Now. That's, that's no rule. such thing as closed and everything's open. Right. Like it's, it's painted in this way that as, as if there aren't closed elements of it. But when you dig deeper into it, we've often heard people say too, oh, well, it's really at the discretion of the adoptive parents and the birth parents and kind of like how they create that relationship. But what this is signaling to me is that we're calling it open when really a lot of these adoptions are truly closed. Which is why I'm trying to also get people to say don't just blame us birth moms because the child is coming to the birth mom 18 years later with all this anger when it wasn't even her to begin with it some people are stealing these kids I'm sorry to say it but they're legally stealing people's children and it just makes me angry because people don't know the suicide rate within the birth moms and I'm going to be honest I only, I probably have worked with two black birth moms 
I'm I'm trying to connect to my people. I, I want to connect to my people and I want to give a safe space and environment to my people to reach back to them to let them know, hey girl, sister girl, I can pull you up also and you're not by yourself because they're just being left to the side. It's a lot of traumas that we experience as black women and why do, do we get to be left to the side? I'm here to bring us up. No, that's real. That's, yeah, yeah. Like where the birth, the black birth mothers exist. And we, we talked about this on a, on a recent episode. It's like, there's so many black children in foster care and adoption which would lead us to believe there's an equal amount of black birth mothers who are just almost invisible. Nobody is reaching out to them. We're not hearing their stories. They're not getting the resources, the follow-up help. They might be suffering postpartum depression after birth. There's so many things, but they're not getting the help and the resources. So your work is extremely Critical. So if there's anything that we can do to help put you in contact with Black birth mothers in particular, we really want to be able to do that. Do it. Do it. I don't just mentor through the adoption agencies and through other agencies. Definitely, you know, I'm a paid mentor through them. However, the thing about it, this is a life journey for me. This is not about through the adoption agencies. This is about something that I'm called to do. And when it comes to bringing women up, I don't care about the money. I want to see us succeed. I want to see what your life after adoption looks like. I'm here to be like, oh, yes, girl, what's next? Like, okay, you went through that. Let's heal. Let's cry it out. Let's talk it out. Whatever we need to do, but like, let's start planning the future. Like, let's get excited about, okay, this is what that was, but let's plan our future together. Bring the women my way because I'm really, really planning on doing a women's empowerment in, like retreat. And so I want to like rent out some cabinets and get a whole bunch of us women and moms together to where we can have different conversations without the distractions, like no phones, just us healing and being there for each other. It's not about the money. It's about, do you really want to see your community succeed? Because when we are empowering each other, it's allowing us to be better people, better moms. When we feel empowered, we make better decisions. We can become successful in our household, in our communities. That's important to me. And something you said about, you know, with as a birth mother, you create this elaborate birth plan for the child and the relationship of the adoption. Nobody makes a, a, a birth plan for birth parents. I feel like that is an untapped opportunity. So as you're making this birth plan for the child, Black birth moms need their birth plan, life after adoption. What is your plan? Because the guilt might come, the shame might come, depression might come, there's all these things. So what is the birth plan? And nobody at the agency is talking about that. <laughs> Nobody in the family might be talking about that if they don't have a community of other Black birth moms because whether it's secrecy, stigma, shame, and they're just kind of in it on their own. Nobody is there to help them plan for life after adoption. And that's a problem. 
It is. I just really like to talk about the legalities because a lot of times women in general and especially black women they don't know like the law or they don't really know so that's why I'm here to let them know this is my experience and a lot of people don't know but a lot of agencies and it's not because the agencies are doing wrong it's just like how the government works and how they're limiting things also and a lot of agencies are only giving care mainly to a year after let's just say they say 20 hours, 30 hours, 40 hours or whatever of mentoring. And it's only until a year after. So she's just supposed to be healed in a year after placing her child for adoption when most women have, have already admitted that they didn't even start feeling anything till year three. Mm-hmm. Then what the hell are they gonna do? Which is why I say, come to me. I don't see, unfortunately, a lot of black women in my field doing any of this. And I'm just sitting here trying to kick all these doors down together all these women and it's just been hard because women are not feeling comfortable to talk about it which is why I say ask me all those horrible questions so that they can see hey it's this one girl who will talk about it. it's this one girl who don't mind being vulnerable to the world so that we can get all these other women and all these black women to tell their story and to heal because if you are keeping that locked in whether that was a year ago whether that was 20 years ago if you're keeping that locked in that is a toxin within your body and it's going to resonate in other areas of your life listen look you you preach it to the fire on that one we know we understand so yes because yeah your child might pop up 20 years later if you haven't dealt with it it's going to deal with you or your child might pop up 40 years later. And if you haven't dealt with it, it's going to deal with you. Mm-hmm. So Let's listening, <laughs> please hit up Kiami. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't hear about the legal side. We don't hear about the, the birth mothers who are suicidal. We, we don't talk about that. So thank you for bringing that conversation to, to the forefront. And hopefully there will be some sisters to help you kick down these doors. Yes, like let's empower women. I'm just all for it. But we're gonna do it. We're gonna we're gonna help you kick down That's some right. doors because we don't <laughs> we don't like this either. You know, we we believe in transparency. So whether you're a birth mom, birth father, the adoptee system needs to change all the way around. So we we're putting on our boots with you. We kicking down doors. We gonna yeah lift each other up together. So we we got your back here. I love this. I am so so happy. I love this so much. This was a blessing. Indeed, for us as well. Thank you for going black to the beginning. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you for listening to another episode of Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast with Dr. Sam and Sandria. If you want more Black to the Beginning, follow at Black to the Beginning and hashtag Black and Adopted on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you would like to share your Black adoption experience, check out our Instagram at Black to the Beginning and click the link in our bio. Remember, The Black adoption conversation is the Black family conversation. These discussions can be difficult, but necessary for generational healing. Let's keep the conversation going. 
for the culture. 